I grew up in the suburbs of California. I was the youngest and the third child, and I had a nice growing up, you know? I had experiences with Girl Scouts and soccer and swimming and voice lessons and was in all the choirs. I went to college to get a degree in life science education didn't use my degree for a whole lot. I think I substitute taught for a while and I worked in a lab as a lab samples coordinator. You know, after several years, I married and had more kids and was a stay-at-home mom for a number of years. The world told me that if you want to succeed in life, you get a degree. And I realized after going through some really difficult things, life doesn't always go like you planned. When I turned 38, there were circumstances at home that were very difficult. And then all of a sudden, everything was gone. I didn't have a home back last October. I didn't have a car. I didn't have income. I barely had clothes. <laughs> I had my glasses on my face and a bag full of stuff, and that was it. Getting a job it just felt really daunting. You'd think with having a college degree that not a problem to have confidence, but because I'd been a stay-at-home mom for so long with only like a spotty work history a year here, a year there, I just didn't feel what I had to offer would be useful in a job setting. In January, my cousin invited me to come to North Star. I just was eager to see God heal her, and we knew that North Star was just a place of healing. Having time with kind people brought me a lot of comfort and healing. So I kept going, and they started talking about the care center, and so I started listening. So the first thing that I did at the care center was Job Jumpstart which was a three-day course. It introduced how to talk in a professional manner so that when I go and talk to an interviewer, I can present myself in the best possible light. At the same time, I was able to utilize the dress for success and get clothes that I could walk into an interview and feel confident and comfortable so that my physical image didn't create a mental block when I was presenting myself to another person. It took away the self-doubt, and it was self-doubt was replaced with assurance that I could do this. I knew what to expect. It was really incredible because in October I had nothing. And in January I hear about the Care Center. And by March I start using the Care Center's resources. And two days later I had an interview, and the next day I had a job. Just to go from a, a place of hopelessness to unexpectedly having work. It was astounding. <laughs> I am the lab samples coordinator, part of the applications lab that helps them promote their sales so that they can get more customers. Life isn't perfect right now. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of things out of my control. This truck that I'm using can't go on the highway. It can't go over 60. It doesn't have air conditioning. It's a loner. It's a gift. I am thankful for it. <laughs> I am not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, but it's not sustainable for the long run. You got my soul, you alone I 
Bit of a surprise for you here. Okay. Is this Sarah? This is Sarah. <laughs> this is Sarah. <laughs> of course, you guys. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm Tex. And this is Tex. I'm We're here. from the Wheels Ministry. So Mandy and Greg uh, told us that you needed a car. Yes. So we, found so we brought one. you one. Oh my God. <laughs> Come check it out. So this is uh, a 2013 Toyota Prius. It's a hybrid. Okay. So it's part gas, part electric. Right, wow. So. <laughs> And then the uh, adjustment is right here. There's a little bar. Okay. Is there AC? There is AC. Yes. There's working AC? It's working AC. It should be blowing. Go to fan. Where's our fan right here? Oh my gosh, that feels let's, awesome. Let's get the temperature cold. I can go on the highway? Sure. I can go 65, 70? Absolutely. Oh, yay. I'm so excited. You are the answer to that prayer. What? So today, I... we want to gather around and pray this vehicle over to you. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. To the people who have donated their time and their money and their resources, well, I want to say thank you. You offered hope to someone who didn't know how to get there. You offered practical solutions so that I could have a hope and a future. You did what Christ called you to do, to help the broken and the lost and the hurting. So thank you. So have you, you ever wondered why like the news outlets don't share like more stories like that? Like, doesn't that just fill you with hope? And uh, I tell you, I love testimonies about God. Cause that wasn't just a testimony about Sarah. That was a testimony about God working through somebody's life. And testimonies can be stories of new beginnings. Somebody giving their life to Jesus, that being the spark that changes the rest of their life. Or a testimony can be a story about a breakthrough. Like you've already given your life to Jesus, but now he's bringing this blessing, this breakthrough that uh, it's gonna change and impact your intimacy and depth with the Lord. But regardless if the testimony is about a beginning or a breakthrough with Jesus, um, they have a way of just fertilizing our faith. And so I wanna share another one with you real quickly. It's about four months ago, I got an email in my inbox from Partners India. They are one of our long-term global partners, been working with them for the last seven years. They do work up in Northern India, which is one of the most persecuted regions in the world. They train up pastors. They uh, also have a school from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, and they plant churches. And so their persecution comes in many different forms, but one of them is through the government. And so the government reached out to them and said, listen, if you're gonna continue in operation, here's some new regulations we're gonna put on you. And those regulations were for them to build a library on campus. If you don't have a library, you can no longer be a school and we have to kick all of your students out. Now this was also crushing because it was only days before all these students came on campus. Many of these students, this is where they live almost all year long. Now you would think, big deal, library, like get some shelves, a couple secondhand books and call it a library. But the regulations require that they would spend $20,000 
to get this library. Now, if you know anything about this kind of ministry, there isn't $20,000 just hanging out in the bank account for you to spend. And so as you can imagine, they started praying and pleading and asking God, God, would you please bring the resources? It was a moment of complete desperation. But 24 hours after this call went out to the Lord and to their partners, the money came in. Just like that, disaster avoided, desperation to jubilation. Could you imagine the relief as a ministry that they experienced? And where did that money come from? It came from all of you. You've been so generous this year that when needs like this come up, our leadership in a matter of like 12 hours or just whenever people will email back, we can get these kind of checks out. In fact, we budgeted for 500,000, a half a million to go out to global and, mo- global and local missions this year. To this day, $670,000 have already gone out because of your generosity. Like, praise God, that is really good news. And what we're hoping for is that another 200,000 could be given out by the very, very end of this year. So what I want you to know is once we hit the amount that we budgeted for, which I think we will in three to four weeks, maybe, I'm not sure, that everything else that comes in to the end of the year, that goes out to local and global missions. And I can't tell you enough that the needs that are out there, it's just there's no way we'll be able to get to everything. So we just wanna be uh, over communicating to you about our passion about meeting some of these needs and our thankfulness to how you guys have been so giving. There's another ministry called uh, Refuge for Women. We just started partnering with them and they help women out of trafficking. We get to pray for their entire leadership a few weeks ago and uh, they opened up a brand new uh, apartment kind of building for long-term stay. So after the women go through the training, they then go through a long-term type of staying program where they all live in different apartment complexes and they don't have furniture. And so we were able to make a decision within hours to make sure they had all the furnishing they need. Our communication was, don't let those women wait another day, get them in there. Here's the money, here's the furniture, we'll get it to you, we'll set it up. And just like that, we're able to get the women in. But again, that's because of the generosity that you continue to show time after time after time. And so thank you from the leadership of our church, thank you. But let me ask you this, how does that feel? It feels pretty good, doesn't it? And the reason why it feels good is because you don't wanna just hear testimonies. If we're honest, we wanna be part of a testimony. And that's why we're doing this series because North Star as a church, we humbly are saying to the Lord, we want to be part of a testimony, of a story of God bringing revival to our community and beyond. Like we're praying to God, we would be so privileged and blessed to be a small part of that story. Now, what is revival? Maybe you're new to this series, you haven't been hanging out for a while. Well, revival is this. Here's what we've been saying each week. It is a moment of time where the movement of God quickens and multitudes not only become aware of God's presence, but begin to experience it in a life-changing way. I think the very first revival that ever happened in Cincinnati was 1886 through this guy behind me. His name is Sam Jones. Sam Jones was known as being a very uneducated, ignorant individual, but nonetheless, he's got a great mustache, so that's good. <laughs> he's got that going for him. And God used him to preach to 30, or excuse me, 3 million people in America. He was known as the Billy Graham of his day. And then he had one stay in Cincinnati one trip coming right through the Queen City. 
And it was during that little trip that God used Sam Jones and his ministry to lead 2,000 people to the Lord. Just a couple sentences there, right? But what a testimony of hope that God could use somebody so uneducated, so ignorant to lead that many people to the Lord that quickly. That's the kind of story I want to be a part of. And so in our world of constant bad news and negativity, what I hope we understand today is that testimony can be the antidote of hopelessness. And so what I'm gonna ask is that for today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have a testimony. And if you're not, you can have a testimony like that. Say yes to Jesus, and that's the beginning of your testimony. But how do we learn what our testimony is so we can begin sharing it in a tenacious way? Because without testimony, the faith that accompanies revival, it will not come. We have to have testimony. So let me pray and we'll jump into it. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. I just pray that there's any agenda, any motive in my heart that's not from you. Would you push it away, Lord? We want to hear from you and you alone. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, also each week we've talked about there has been a group of people over the years that have been folks who research revivals. And what they've came back with are five main ingredients that they believe have been used by God in all the revivals that have ever happened. You don't find this list in the Bible necessary, but you see the fingerprints of this list all over the place. And the five are this. Number one, humble prayer, scripture, testimony, repentance, and worship. Those are the five ingredients that people have seen throughout all the revivals that have ever happened. And the thing that we've said, I think is more important than this list, is that you and I cannot spark revival. We can't do it. Only God can spark revival. We can't take an outlet, right? Or a little, a little uh, what am I trying to say? A wire, a cord, a cord and plug it into the wall. <laughs> Such a hard word. <laughs> Somebody's thinking of Sam Jones right now, like, yeah, David. <laughs> yeah, David knows that guy. You can't just plug it in the outlet and then revival all of a sudden happens. That's not the way it works. But what we can do is be intentional in mixing those ingredients of revival into our life. So what are the next steps? This is another question we've been receiving. So what do I do? Like, I love this. I want to be part of revival. And so we've just thrown out a quick list to you guys. The first one is take two to three minutes every day just praying, Lord, bring revival in my life to these people, to these places. Number two, come up on Sunday morning. The prayer teams are ready. And just say to the prayer team, I've got no request other than this. I want you to join me in praying for revival and you'll pray right there on the spot. Number three, we've got our prayer room open at 12 on Tuesday and on Fridays. Just come join us. It's also online on our Facebook page. And lastly, when we do public declarations, as we've done, that you would come up and be part of that. Our last one we did was repentance. So you know whichever one comes next is not going to be as hard as that. So next time we do that, jump up. And kudos to you that, that it did share. I was talking to a handful of different pastors the last few weeks, and they were like, you guys did what? I said, yeah, people came up, and they just repented. So appreciate everybody who participated in that. So today what we're going to do is we're going to mix in this ingredient of testimony and discover what our story is and how to share it. And we've been going through minor prophets the whole way through. And today my job was to speak on Hosea. And I was so excited about this. You guys read in your reading plan on Monday, Hosea chapter 12. If you don't have a journal, they're right through that double door. And in, in chapter 12, you may not have noticed this. 
is that there's a testimony that Hosea shares about Jacob, one of the patriarchs of the faith. And it's so easy to breeze over, but I caught it. And I thought to myself, if I can teach this, they're gonna think I am so smart. Like it just, I was like that gem I found, right? If I could just teach it. So I wrote the entire talk. I had broken down Hosea 12. You were gonna know about Gomer and prostitutes and Jacob. I had it all woven together. And I really thought this is gonna be an impressive Sunday for me. Like it's gonna be very impressive on what you guys think. But then the Lord says, you know, that's not what I have for you today. And that was heartbreaking because I had written the entire talk, like the delete button, my finger was shaking. But here's what I wanna make sure we know as a church, that if we're only following a plan because it's the plan, the plan can eventually become an idol. And so I threw the plan aside, and today you're gonna to hear from much less exciting passages in the Gospel of John. But I think it's what the Lord has for us. So let's see, so open up to John chapter four, and the story that's going on here is we have Jesus traveling, and he's going through Samaria, and he's all by himself. And he stops at a watering well. And the reason why this is a big deal is if you're Jewish in that time, you don't hang out in Samaria. You just don't do it. Especially if you're a Jewish rabbi like Jesus. But there he is in Samaria without his disciples at the well. And the reason why this is such a big deal because the Jews and the Samaritans, they are rivals. They are about as much of a sworn enemy as you can get. Now you may think to yourself, well, why is that? Like, why would they be at such odds? Well, if you go back to 732 BC, before Christ was born, the Assyrian Empire comes in and they just level the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And so they take a lot of the Israelites into exile, but some of them they leave back where they were. And those people, some of them have lost their spouse. Some of them weren't married. Some of them lose a spouse during the next, you know, five to 10 years, maybe illness, maybe because of the war. It's just a tough time. Now, a lot of those people go out and they end up marrying somebody else. The problem is they don't marry other Israelites. They marry some of their foreign neighbors. And Moses said when laying out the law, do not do that. Because if they bring in their culture, their customs, you can start pulling away from worshiping the one true God. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, it gets so bad, the Israelites start calling these Samaritans who have married foreign spouses. They call them half-breeds. Yeah, you used to be Jewish. Yeah, you're kind of a half-breed. Now you got a little bit of that, but you got a little bit of that. We don't want anything to do with you. Fast forward 200 years later, there's another empire, Babylon. They get conquered by the Persians and Cyrus says, hey, Israelites, your God spoke to me and you're going to go back home to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the city, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. Well, guess who wants to be a part of that? The Samaritans. And the Jewish people return and they look at the Samaritans and they say, nope, you're not going to live with us and you're not going to help us rebuild. You go back to your area and just leave us alone. And that's what they did. And they ended up building their own little place of worship, which was even worse, more sacrilegious, more pagan. And they have nothing to do with the Jews. And the feud just continues to grow. And at the days of Jesus, it's so bad that if you're a Jew, instead of going through Samaria to get to where you're going, you would cross the Jordan River. Can you imagine being on the banks of the Ohio River and going, well, I really don't like the people in Covington, so I'll cross the river. Like, the hatred and the disgust was so great at that time, these two groups wanted nothing to do with one another. And so where everyone else saw unclean, 
Jesus saw unsaved. He saw unloved. Isn't that a great relevant kind of moment for us right now? If you are someone who proclaims to follow Jesus, one of the greatest things that you can do for the kingdom of God is never, ever declare somebody else as unclean. You can say unloved, they're unsaved, they don't know the Lord, but here at North Star, we don't say unclean. Because if we do that, we are pulling away from the mindset and the heart of Jesus. And so when Jesus was in Samaria with these people that others declared as unclean, he ends up not being by himself because eventually a woman comes to the well where he's sitting. Now, this is quite a scandal. If there was TMZ back in that time, this would be a moment. Get the picture, clickbait, get it online. Because not only is he a Jewish rabbi, she's an adulterous woman. And so she joins him and he continues to have this conversation with her. They talk about living water. They talk about where to worship. But then he drops a bomb on her and he tells her everything about her life. No way of knowing, they've never met. He says, not only have you had five husbands, wink, wink, but the man you're with now, he's not your husband either. In other words, saying all the things that you've struggled with, the sin you're trying to keep to yourself, I know it all. And then he tells her, I'm the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Not only did I just read your mail, your dirty laundry, I'm the one you've all been waiting for. I am God in the flesh. I'm the Messiah. Now, where this would probably be a horrendous moment for some, this woman decides to believe. Jesus just shared in chapter three to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, that he is the Messiah. Nicodemus took a few moments to really wrap his mind around it, if he really did even in that moment. But this woman, this quote, unclean, unreligious woman gets it. She understands. He not only shared the great details of my life with me, but he's the Messiah. And so she runs back to town, right? One of the first evangelists of the New Testament. And she tells everybody, I have found the Messiah. Here's what it says, chapter four, verse 29. She says to the people in her community, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. Now jump to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them. And guess what? He did. For 48 hours, he stayed with them. And because of his words, many more became believers. So why did the Samaritans believe? Why did they put their faith in Jesus John couldn't be any more clear. It's not because of this woman's theological persuasion. It's not because of her breakdown of messianic prophecy. It was because of her testimony. And so if you have never opened your Bible, you have no training, you're uneducated, you're ignorant, you can have the exact same impact as this woman because you have a story. There's a testimony that God is growing inside of you. And so many of the Samaritans believe because of her story of how Jesus changed her life and faith began to grow. And so therefore what happened? Everybody came out of the town. Let's find this Jesus guy. And one after the other of these 48 hours, they gave their life to Jesus. Some historians say that over a thousand to 2000 people gave their life to Jesus in this time frame. Revival came to Samaria, to the unclean, to the unsaved, but Jesus 
stayed there long enough for those people in that area of town to be changed forever. Sparked not by biblical commentary or debate, but by testimony. Listen, people can doubt how Jesus has changed your life, but they can't disprove it. Imagine that woman going back to her town. I bet her, her message was something like this. Hey, I got a story to tell you. Back in the day, yes, you guys all know it. Like I put my hope in all these husbands, but I just met Jesus and now I'm putting my hope in him. Come see him. Come see what he's done in my life. There is nobody that can disprove that statement but the woman who gave it because it's her transformation. It's her change, not theirs. That's why testimony ultimately is bulletproof. It really is against all the arguments, against all the debate. It's bulletproof because the only person that can disprove the real life change that Jesus has had in your life is you. Nobody else can do it. We see this later in John chapter nine. There's a man who was born blind. Jesus healed him and the Pharisees don't like it. In fact, they wanna do anything they can to challenge and disprove his story, but they fail miserably. Look at this in verse 24. A second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been born blind and been healed. It says, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the healed man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But the one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. Well, you can't argue that, right? (laughs) I was blind, now I see. And so the Pharisees are helpless to disprove. This is my favorite testimony in the entire Bible. I was blind I met Jesus, and now I see. That wasn't my physical testimony, but that was my spiritual testimony. Testimony is your change, your experience. This is who I was before Jesus. Here's how I met him, and here is who I am now. I was blind, now I see. I was without hope, now I'm I'm hopeful. We can easily debate theology, but we cannot easily debate real life change. I think that's the reason why testimony is so powerful and God uses it over and over and over again and bring in revival. And so let's be tenacious in sharing our testimonies, these bulletproof stories about how God has changed our life. And so if you're somebody who has given your life to Jesus, you're thinking to yourself, how do I do this? Let me just show you in the screen behind me. There's two ways to look at this. There's testimonies about beginning and it's pretty easy. What was my life like before meeting Jesus? That's the first part of the testimony. How did I meet Jesus? And then just what has my life been like ever since? And so for the man born blind, it was I was blind, I met him, and now I see. For the woman at the well, I put my hope in my husband's. I met Jesus, now I put my hope in him. For me, it's this. I think before Jesus, I would say I was a kite without a tail. I was blown in the wind, just... um, explosive, angry, filling my heart with things that didn't last, very insecure and lacking peace. But then I met Jesus after a car accident. A friend of mine shared the gospel with me. And ever since then, my life is not perfect, not even close. But that hole that had been filled with the wrong things, it now has Jesus. 
I don't feel so much like I'm blown in the wind, but I'm anchored to the cornerstone, to the rock that doesn't budge. And so my peace, my security, my purpose, all of that is not perfect yet. It won't be until heaven, but it's so much better than it was before. And then we have the testimony of breakthrough. This is if you've already given your life to Jesus and the breakthrough is this. Here's what I was like before the breakthrough. Here's how Jesus came in and broke through in that area of my life. And here's who I am today after that moment. And so I would encourage you to think about your testimony in three different segments. What's your one minute testimony? How can you summarize it quickly? Right, you're at the, at the counter at Starbucks. No one's behind you and you get in this quick conversation. How can you share it in one minute? What about a five-minute testimony and maybe a 20-minute testimony? Maybe you're at a dinner and they all think you're great and they want to hear you talk all night. <laughs> we'll have 20 minutes ready to share what the Lord has done for you. And so let me give you an example from our church. We're going to invite up Travis White. Travis and I co-lead the men's group on Thursday night. Give it up for Travis. And he is going to share... A testimony with us that has, I think, both beginning and breakthrough. Well, thanks, David. I just want to say my family and I are so thankful for this church, for the leadership, for God leading us here. Um, so I grew up, I don't know, I often say northern Ohio, and usually from Cincinnati, people go, well, Columbus or Cleveland. And I'm like, there's this whole middle part there <laughs> where there's farmers and small towns. And uh, so it's a town called Mansfield. Um, that I was born in, grew up in Butler. And um, so when I was seven, my parents had kind of gone to a Baptist church here and there. And um, I remember it vividly one day, God just really tugged on my heart. And um, I can vision it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting in front of a plate glass window in the living room and I can, I can see the day. It was a nice, bright, sunny day. And I just asked him to come into my heart and be my Lord. And God is such a good, good father that he knew right then I needed him because the storms were coming. And at eight years old, I watched my dad drive away at night through that same window. And that relationship still to this day is not healed and has been tumultuous. And my mom really struggled after that with abusive boyfriends and an abusive stepdad. And you know, it was, it was really tough, but God was always there. And, you know, when I went from the Baptist church to a Catholic church and God taught me his holiness, and I went from the Catholic church to, in my late teens, um, finding a non-denominational church, and he taught me passion and love for him. And from there, I went to a church that actually was taught by a Messianic Jew, and I learned the history of God. And... We came here, and he's teaching me how to raise a family. He's just so good. And um, throughout that time period, I really struggled a lot with Matthew 13, um, the verse about the sowers and the seed, and particularly the one that got caught up with the thorns, the plant with the thorns. And Jesus explains this to his disciples, and he says, that this thorn is the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth that choke it and make it unfruitful. And right about 34 years of age, I, I went into what I call the dark night of the soul and it was really tough time. I had a, twins that were two years old. My job was really, really tough. I was dealing still with the family issues and, and things of that nature. And man, it was just like a mental breakdown. 
in that time. And thankfully, the good, good God that he is, he opened up opportunities for prayer, for therapy, for friendships, for family to come around and support me. And it was a really, really hard, about eight months that I really traveled through some dark periods. And what got me out of it really was his word and his love. And I'm just gonna read it because this verse has stuck with me. And it really points back to, you know, Matthew 13 and the, and the sowing of the seeds. And this is Hebrews 13:5, And he said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you, what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And I think about when he gave that, you know, Moses had told Joshua and the Israelites that same thing. And he did it right before they were gonna go through a really, really tough time. And it was like this hope. And I knew right then and there that God would never leave me, he would never forsake me. I could walk away from him if I wanted, but I didn't want to. But he would never walk away from me. And that's what a good father is. And I love that Jesus says to us, the first thing when his disciples ask, how do we pray? And he says, our father, not my father, not your father, but he's our father, all of us. So we're all his children, we're family together. And he's our father, and I love that. Because he's the best representation of what a father is and what I can hope to be. So I just wanna encourage you that, you know, you, you may not have some, a dramatic testimony, something where you were completely running from God and then he found you. It may be something simple, but we all have something where God has done something in our lives because he loves you. I know he does. So I just thank him for that. And we, uh, I'm in a much better place now, which is great because my kids are older. They're asking questions. And so I can hopefully <laughs> help guide them. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. And so let's just, let's close with this. Let's be a church that is tenacious about sharing our testimony. And let's see if revival comes. Let's just see what happens. So uh, I'm going to pray, then Rusty's going to come up and, and close us out. So Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for just the stories that you've already shared and you're gonna to continue to share. Lord, we pray that we would be part of your testimony of bringing revival, deliverance, healing, salvation, a movement of you, Jesus, quickly and powerfully through our lives. And so we just humbly submit ourselves individually and corporately to what you're doing. Lord, make us more like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As I'm listening to Travis and to uh, David share about testimony, it threw me back. Um, oh, I don't know, a couple, couple years ago, there's a park right near my house that uh, I didn't say this to anybody, but I kind of claim the park for myself. So I walk there every day, almost every day, taking my dog, and I, I'm constantly praying around this big loop that, Lord, I pray that only things of righteousness would happen in this park. I pray those who are hungry or are looking for God would find you in this park. You know, I'd say, I can pray those big, bold, giant prayers, you know. Um, 
And so that's the kind of where I was at. I was in one of these moments. I was sitting down. I had done a few loops, sat down at this bench, and I had hardly gotten, gotten uh, just rested when this, this young man comes, comes up to me, and he says to me, he says, hey, um, you got a minute? And I said, sure, sure. And I quickly heard uh, a young man's testimony. <laughs> he was working it out on me. He had gone through a... Um, a 12-step program, gotten off of drugs, and had came to a church and had come to know Jesus. And the man that shared Jesus with him says, this is a new day for you, brother. He says, you got to go tell somebody what's gone on. So he had left there and gone to the park. He found a great, a great person, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I, I let him go on and on because as he spoke about what had happened in, in his simple broken words, Coming out there, I could see his. I could see the strength of, of touch on his life. Ooh, and it was stirring me up. And I let him go past his one minute testimony. He went into his five minute testimony. And um, as he's down in there, I just uh, I said, "Buddy, I'm one of your brothers." And he gets, oh, he was so excited. <coughs> Excuse me. And I said, "Why don't we just pray right now that God would stir this up that you're feeling and that I'm feeling." And we would go joyfully sharing these things to others. He said, yeah, let's do it. He, he got down on his knees. I stayed in the seat there. I just stayed in the seat. <laughs> so I blessed him and he blessed me and it stirred me up as he went off. He went down the park. He went around the park. I didn't say this, but I said, this is my park. <laughs> and I guess God sent an evangelist to my park because he hung around the rest of the afternoon. I saw him sitting down with different people doing his one-minute routine, and it stirred me, stirred me. Friends, I think um, when you hear somebody on fire for what God's done for them, it stirs you up, and we all got something like that to offer. So as we come to this worship spot these next few minutes, why don't you just ask the Lord, would you put your finger down in the, in the red-hot center of who you've made me to be and stir me up again? Let that which is true for me come off of my lips to be true in their ear. We all have that. Those who love Jesus have a story to tell. You have been snatched from the fire, it says in the word, snatched. I love that idea. So why don't we all stand? Those who are prepared to pray, why don't you come up front and we'll take David at his word and say, hey, some of you, might just want to stand with some others and say, I want to pray for revival in me, in our city, in our church, where I work. We'd love to pray with you in uh, agreement with that. But as we do every week, communion on either side and down here in the back, hey, this is the strongest, powerful testimony we'll ever receive. The body broken. Jesus' body. His blood poured out because that's what was necessary to open the door to you and to me. That was the Father's plan. And he said, I want a family, a big family. Jesus, would you go show them what I'm like? Show them what I'm like. So I'm gonna invite you to come afresh to the table. The broken body and the blood of Jesus and asking to stir up 
that testimony that brings you into his testimony, one testimony in yourself. So let's worship. And I'll come back up in a minute and um, close us.